So squad goals. Some people are like, hmm, what's that mean? Well, it's a cool millennial term. I'm not quite millennial, but uh, according to a new study, I guess I'm an ex-millennial, whatever that is. Um, <laughs> yeah, millennials, they take every generation, they give them new names. It's, it's fun, I guess. Um, <laughs> so squad goals. I love, I love this. I felt the Lord's put this on my heart last year for this month. And uh, basically what it is is an inspirational um, term that something that you would like to see your group of friends uh, do, be, or accomplish. I like to look at it like this. It's not just a goal for yourself. And, and coming out of January, it's so easy. We get so caught up in let's set these, you know, the American mindset or whatever. Let's set these resolutions. Let's set these goals. And we just focus so much on ourselves with this, which is okay to a degree on things because we have to take care of ourselves, love ourselves in order to love our neighbor as ourselves. But the thing about this series that we're going to be doing, it's, it is a, it's about the collective body. It's about um, more than just yourself. It's about seeing, adding value to others so that you can see them grow. And when you do that, you in return will also grow. And so I'm just super excited about what God has laid on our heart to speak about this month. Today, we're going to really focus on um, the church and loving the church the way Jesus loves the church. And uh, I have two foundational scriptures that I want to read, and then we're going to pray. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In Matthew 16, 18, this is Jesus. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Today, the title is Building Up the Church in Love. Say it with me. Say, Building Up the Church in Love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God, for the love that has been manifested in this place today. God, I thank you for the unity that's in this place today. God, I thank you for the prophetic word that, that just ministered right to the heart today. God, I pray that we would build one another up in love, Lord Jesus. God, that you would give us a revelation of what your church is, Lord God. And God, that, that, that your people um, are called out people. God, to, to take your mission to the world. And so, God, I pray that you would just anoint this word today, that your word would come and, and that it would land on good hearts today, Lord Jesus. Hearts, a good soil that are ready to receive what you have and what you want. We thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk about, um, before I kind of get really into my message, I want to lay a foundation. I want to talk about three of the primary um, metaphors that I see in the New Testament for church. There's, there's more than three. There's a lot more. I thought of several other ones I could put in, but um, we're going to hit three today. One, the church is often called the bride of Christ. When you read through the New Testament, um, we see actually where Paul gives instructions in Ephesians 5, for wives submitting to husbands, he says, on wives to submit to husbands as the church is to submit to the Lord, right? The Lord Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, and husbands love your wives as Christ laid down his life 
for the church. I always tell my husband, you got the harder job. I just got to submit, which means be under mission to you, but you got to lay your life down um, for me. So, you know, hey, we can do this. <laughs> and, but this, the fun thing is, though, is that, that we, we often in the church only focus on the uh, meaning of a husband and wife and the roles that husbands and wife have, but really it's showing you a deeper meaning of who and what the church is. That the church is the bride of Christ. One of my pet peeves is when I hear um, people say things like, well, I love Jesus. I just, you know, I just don't like the church. Have you ever heard that? That just really irritates me. It would be like someone saying, I love Josh, but I can't stand joy. I don't think my husband would really feel that way. Like, if you really love him, you can't help but like me a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it just, it is what it is, right? (laughs) Because we are to be one. What a husband and wife is to be become one. The church and Christ is to become one, friends. And then we see in the book of Revelation, uh, uh, John the Revelator also referred to the church as the bride. We see in Revelation 19, 7, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Elsewhere in the scripture, it says that the bride of Christ is to present herself without spot and wrinkle. In Revelation, it says the spirit and the bride say, Come, Lord Jesus, come. The church, the bride of Christ, desires Jesus, the bridegroom, to come. I I did a teaching once, and this is probably not as relevant um, here to Waterville, but it's just so funny that I have to uh, mention it. I used to say, Jesus is your bridegroom, not your baby daddy. Because people um, oftentimes look at Jesus as, 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 you know, they don't have a trust like they should in the Lord. And I want to help people realize that just because man has let you down doesn't mean that, that God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he shall change his mind. And so we have to realize that we are the bride of Christ, and the bride of Christ needs to make herself ready, needs to um, purify herself so that when Jesus comes, we can be ready. Have you ever been to a wedding and seen a bride walk down looking crazy? Like, that's usually the day they look the best in their entire life. I've never been to a wedding where the bride was looking, her hair wasn't done, her makeup wasn't on, her dress was all torn and soiled. I've never seen that because... They have the trash, the wedding dress things that are real popular now, but that's after the wedding where they go and take pictures of them in, like, wedding dresses in the beach getting it all dirty. I'm like, my dress costs $800. I ain't, I would no. <laughs> I don't get They must have got those dresses on Clarence or something. But um, <laughs> no one walks down the aisle that way, correct? Because the bride of Christ needs to make herself ready. But this is the thing. When you mess with the bride, you're going to get the bridegroom. And so we need, to, we need to be careful when we hear people say that or when we get angry at the church. Um, and, and because the church, we are, the church is made up of imperfect people. And so it's easy to have what we call church hurt. It's easy to get offended at people and just say, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. But we have to realize that God is still working in his church. Okay, so the bride is one, one uh, metaphor uh, that we see used in the New Testament. Another one, and this is probably the one that's probably used the most, but it's not the one I'm going to hit on the most today, and it's the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, just as the body, though one, say though one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. It goes, it has so many different scriptures in the New Testament that talks about we are the body of Christ. Um, I was encouraging a sister in the Lord who was ups, upset because her 
her husband was going through some things and was a little discouraged. And um, this, her husband's kind of a behind the scenes kind of guy and he was feeling a little down. And I said, this is the thing, just like the body has certain parts that you can see and, and that they are visible, there's other parts of the body, like the internal organs that are even more important. You can lose a toe even though you can see it and it could be real cute, painted and, met, met, you know, have a good, you know, what do they call it? I can't afford them. A pedicure. There we go. I have a little, my, my daughter does mine for free. You know, a little sparkle to, toes. It could be all cute and all that stuff. But listen, you can live without a toe, but you can't live without a heart, right? And so there's, there's, there's things that God has called us to do. Some of us are inward um, parts, members of the body, and, and we're not as seen. And we feel like we're not as important, but we are. And so I just want to encourage you guys. We all have different gifts. We all have different functions in the body of Christ, but we're one. And so when one part of the body is hurting, the whole body is hurting. Now, I know a lot of you have had that nasty flu bug go through your house, and you get it. If it's tried to get you, you understand it can start in the throat, and then all of a sudden you're feeling it from your head to your toes, you know what I mean? And every part of the inside of you feels it. Because when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. And that should be the same with the body of Christ. If we see our brother or sister in the Lord struggling and they're hurting, it should hurt us, friends, because when one body part hurts, the whole body hurts. And so let's come together in unity and know that we're a part of the body. Now, the third metaphor that I'm going to talk about today, this is where I'm going to focus. And, and um, it's probably, mm, some people might think it's the most superficial, I don't know, not that anything in the Bible is superficial, but some people would say it's probably not the strongest metaphor um, in comparison to some of the other ones. And it is the building. And so the, the New Testament also employs the image of a building, specifically a temple, to describe the relationship of God and his church. I've heard people say, um, you know, things like, well, the building is not the church. The people are the church, and that is true. But what a lot of people have messed up and they're saying with that, um, because if you ever went to Sunday school, you probably remember the whole thing, here's the church, here's the steeple, you know, open it up, something, here's all the people. You guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Well, they had it right back then in science school, but now with the new generation, what I hear a lot of people say is, oh, I don't need church. I don't need, you know, and they're talking about the building. I don't need the building because I am the church. And I feel like they got that a little off because I am a daughter of God, but with Bailey together with her, now I'm the church because it's not just about me. Okay, it's about us together in unity. We are the church, friends. I, myself, am a daughter of God. Together, we are the church. You see what I'm saying? Where Jesus says we're two or more are gathered in his name. He's in the midst of them. And we have to remember that we need each other. Because if we didn't, as soon as we got saved, we could have been raptured up to heaven. But we need each other. God has put us together to live in unity and to live in community. And so let's know that, that together we are the church. And this is what the scripture says here in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15. It says, for we are co-workers in God's service. Say co-workers. Hmm, kind of that co-laboring, that needing togetherness, right, community. You are God's field. And then it says God's building. Say building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Say builder. And someone else ha is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one could lay any foundation other than 
the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Who's the foundation? Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. I have a sermon just there and those, those different things because we want gold, uh, silver, and costly stone. We don't want wood, hay, and straw, but that's, that's for another day, y'all. Verse 13 says, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though though one as one escaping through the flames. There's so much truth and, and depth in that passage that I wish I had like five hours to just preach on that, that little text right there, but I don't. But what I felt like the Lord was saying to, to me for you all today is that we need to love the church and we need to build the church up. Like Paul, who was an expert builder, and yet he was talking about someone else. And if we read in the whole context, he's talking about Apollos coming and building on top of his work. We need one another. We need to co-labor, co-work together to build up the church in love. And so when I was praying about this, I felt like the Lord brought me all the way back to the New Testament to this guy named Nehemiah. Most of you guys have probably heard of him. For those who haven't, I'm going to give a little bit of a foundation. Nehemiah... um, was living in a time of exile in a foreign land, and uh, he basically heard that Jerusalem, which some scholars believe could be a type of Old Testament type of church as well, that its walls were in crumbles and its land was just being overran and, and, and not being taken care of, and it broke his heart. And so he set out to be a builder of the walls of Jerusalem. And there's some things that he did that I believe we can learn from if we want to build the church up in love, because that's what we're talking about today, right? Say it with me. Build the church in love. Say it with me. Build the church in love. So we're going we're gonna to go back to the Old Testament here, and we're going to learn a little bit from Nehemiah. Six ways you can build up the church in love. And Number one, always start with prayer. You guys might be getting sick of hearing me talk about praying, but I'm going to keep on doing it because I want to stoke um, that fire. I I want to fan the fire of God in you guys, and that happens Um, through encouraging one another and spurring one another on and realizing the importance of prayer. So if we want to build up the church, which is, again, the church is who? The people, right? The people of God. It's not this building here. We're meeting in the schoolhouse that we turn into a church house when we walk into it because we carry the church with us. You understand what I'm saying? So we're not going to church. We're carrying church with us, right? And so if we want to build up the church, which means build one another up, it has to start with prayer. It has to start with prayer. And this is what it would start with with Nehemiah. And I'm going to read the paraphrase version here, um, the message, because it kind of just sums it up and it, it shortens up this first uh, chapter. I'm just going to read the first six verses or so. Nehemiah chapter 1, it says, In the month of Kishlev in the 20th year, at the time I was in the palace complex at Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, had just arrived from Judea and had some fellow Jews. I asked them about the conditions among the Jews there who survived in exile. 
and about Jerusalem. They told me the exiled survivors who are left there in the province are in bad shape. Conditions are appalling. The walls of Jerusalem is still in rumble. The city gates are still cinders. And when I heard this, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, you might recall the last several times I've preached, I've talked about how great ministry always starts with what? Agony, right? And the, the good prayer, it comes from a place of, man, when, you're, when you know you get a breakthrough in prayer, is for me, I, I almost always cry when I know I'm getting a breakthrough. And I don't cry every time I pray. I, I pray down lists. I pray lists. I have lists in my journal that I redo every time I get a new journal. I pray for my husband with a list. I pray for my um, children. I pray for myself. I have lists. I have people's names on lists. But when God, man, when I'm broken, when I start crying and, 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 and the Spirit of God moves me to a place where I'm in tears and sometimes I literally feel like this pain in my stomach, I know that God is doing something powerful and that's getting ready to, to move. And so this is what happened to uh, Nehemiah. He asked the right question, first of all. He asked, how are my people doing? And we need to do that sometimes. But we have put the responsibility of uh, caring for the church, caring for the people only on the pastor when that was never what it was about, friends. That was never, it was always about one another, caring for one another and building one another up. And so we need to ask the right question. When we don't see people that are normally here, we need to ask the right question. How are you doing? You know, someone could be sick. Someone could be in pain. Someone could be struggling. We need to ask, how are you doing? What's going on with you? And so this is what he asked. And, and, and he, he heard what was going on. And so he mourned, it said, for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, God, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, loyal to his covenant and faithful to those who love him and obey his commands. Look at me. Listen to me. Pay attention to the prayer of your servant. I am praying day and night in intercession for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, and I am including myself, I and my ancestors, among those who have sinned against you. I love that part. I'm including myself because oftentimes when we see an issue going on in the church, and when I say in the church, it's what? The people of God, right? When we see an issue going on in the church, it's very easy for us to point our finger, finger at the, the people and say, they got an issue, man. They don't have it together. And we, don't, we, we, we start praying maybe even for them, like, God, help them. God, fix them. God, get them. Sometimes we even pray. But we forget to mention, but God, I too have sinned. And God, you need to get me too. God, you need to check me too. And see, God uses the people who are of humble spirit that includes themselves in the sins of the people. But what I see going on all the time, a lot, especially within the body of Christ, is people saying on Facebook, oh, God, get the homosexual, and God, get that unwed mother, and God, get the drug addict, and God, get my, my, my person in my family who's fallen away and backslidden, and God, get my rebellious teenage son, and God, get this and get that. And, and we forget to say, but God, forgive me for my attitude, for my judgmental spirit. God, forgive me for my uh, legalistic spirit, for, for me thinking that I'm better than and forgetting what you saved me from. I include myself in this prayer, and God, I say, like David, would you search me, O oh Lord, and see if there's anything wrong in me that I might have to repent of. Maybe there's a secret sin that I don't even realize that I'm doing. Just the other day, I just felt um, this anxiety come on me, and I'm like, God, is there, is there, some kind, is there something in me that I have fallen, I've sinned, and not even realized? Show me, Lord. Show me that I could repent. Show me that I could turn, that I could change. 
Friends, let's be like Nehemiah and let our prayers not just be for the other people, but let's include ourselves in that prayer. God, make me the pure and spotless bride that you have called me to be because I'm a part of your body and I'm a part of your church. And God, from there, God, would you use me to encourage the others and help them know, too, that God is for them and not against them. Because it's hard to follow a God that you think is against you, that's standing up there like this Zeus God, and he has a lightning bolt, and he's ready to eat. He's going to get you. Josh could have done that sound effect so much better. I need to practice on that one. Eat. I mean, that was so girly, but, you know, you know, I tried. <laughs> it's hard to follow if you don't feel like you are, that someone believes in you, Right? It's hard to work at a job for a boss that you think is mean-spirited and doesn't believe in your potential, right? How much more is it, when, when we have a wrong perspective of God, how much more hard is it to follow him? And so, friends, I want that perspective to be broken off you today. God is a good father, and he loves you, and he is for you. The enemy is against you. The Bible says that Jesus came to give you life and that more abundantly, but the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy, friends. And so we need to pray. We need to start in a place of prayer, praying for one another and praying for ourselves. Amen? You get that? Okay. Nehemiah, what I love about him is he wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He was a cupbearer, a servant. But God used him to be a leader for his people. At this time, he was in exile. He was a cupbearer, basically like an indigent servant to the king. The cupbearer was the, was the person who drank the wine before the king drank it in case it was poison. If it, was po- if it was, had poison in it, the cupbearer would die. So he had kind of a, a, a risky job there, if you would think about it. And he, wasn't, he didn't have the title that we're so used to, um, people being used, you know, in the Old Testament. My, he wasn't the Elijah, the mighty prophet, or he wasn't King David, this mighty king. Instead, he was, he was an exile servant to a foreign king, and yet God still gave him favor, friends. Sometimes in the place that you feel like you are exiled, the place that you feel like you are alone, the place that you feel like you don't have any hope in the world, sometimes it's in that place that God is setting you up to use you in the greatest way he's ever used you. So be encouraged. If God can use Nehemiah, he can use you too. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what title you have, to what degree or no degree you have. God wants to use you and make you a servant leader. So my encouragement to you today is that building the church must begin with fervent prayer. There's absolutely, listen to me, absolutely nothing that can stop a praying church. Do you hear me? Do you believe that? Because if we really believed that, we would, we would pray because there's nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing that can stop a praying church. Amen? So if you want to build up the church, it must start in prayer. If you want to build up the church in love, well, then, friends, we need to get God's plan. We need to get God's plan. We need to seek God's face and then seek his hand. See, friends, God's face represents his presence and his hand represents his blessing and his plan. Oftentimes, the Western church, the American church, gets this 
confused and we first want to seek his hand. We want to seek his blessing. We want to get his plan without first seeking his face and, and hearing his heart. You see what I'm saying? The New Testament, um, Jesus says it like this in Matthew. It says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. But what we often do is want to seek all the things, all the different things. We want to seek that. And then we want to say, okay, the kingdom and his righteousness. We get it twisted. We get it backwards. And our American dream has it all backwards, right? Oh, work hard. Work, 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 work. We have, we have almost an idol of working hard and a self-dependency on ourselves and our own intellect, our, our own knowledge that it's all about working hard and, and, and climbing the corporate ladder and, and, and making a better place for yourself and for your family. And, and to some degrees, that God wants to bless us, but so that we can be a blessing to others, not just so we can, you know, climb up this corporate la- ladder friends and so I want to encourage you you got to seek his face first and then seek his hand and when you seek his face and then his hand you will receive his plan because the Bible says many are the plans in a man's heart but the Lord orders his steps I want the Lord to order our steps amen I want, I want the Lord to tell us exactly what we should do. I want each step, each step. And if, only I, if I only see the couple steps ahead of me, let me follow on those couple steps. I don't, I don't always see five years down the road. Usually I don't. But that's okay because then that creates this dependency that I have to continue to go to God and, and seek his face and say, God, I love you. I love your presence. I want to be in your presence. And in that place, he reaches out his hand, friends. And it's when he reaches out his hand that, that the blessings begin to come and the plan comes together. But let's not get it twisted. Let's not get it confused. Because just like in any relationship, if you only go to somebody when you want something, it's not a good relationship, right? Nobody wants that. If my husband only came and said hi to me when he wanted me to make him dinner, come on, y'all. Can you imagine? If he only spoke to me at dinner time and said, what's cooking? I'll tell you what's cooking. <laughs> right? If that's the only time he ever smiled at me. Friends, sometimes that's how we do God. We only come to him when we're in a crisis, when we need him to, to fix something, when we need a bonus at work, or we need God to help our broken down car, or we need God to get our kids. I mean, sometimes we only come to him when we want him to do something for us, like he works for us instead of us serving him. Friends, let's not get it twisted. Seek God's face and then his hand. This is what Nehemiah did. See, Nehemiah didn't take any action until after he had allowed the gravity of the situation to seek into his soul. And then he, sent, he spent much time before God's throne in prayer. Here's a man who had his priorities straight, friends. A man we could all learn from. I want to encourage you. Seek them. Seek God's face. Nehemiah 2, 7 through 8 says this. Then I said, if it pleases the king. This is after he spent time in prayer, right? He said, if it pleases the king, provide me with letters to the governors across the Euphrates 
that authorized my travel through Judah. And also, in order to ask, ask Asif, whatever, keeper Asaph, I knew I said his name wrong, Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, to supply me with timber for the beams of the temple for, fortress, the wall of the city, and the house where I will be living. The generous hand, the generous what? The generous hand of my God was with me in this, and the king gave them to me. This is where we get confused because we want God's hand before we want to spend time in his presence. But when we spend time in his presence, his hand will always be generous to what you need. Always. And so I want to encourage you, like Nehemiah, God moved on a wicked king in, in some ways, a foreign king, not a, save, or not, a, not a brother of the Lord, right? Not a fellow believer, but a king who did not know God's heart. God can move on people's hearts who don't even know him for your blessing if you would seek him. And that's what happened. And so I said, when I met with the governor across the river, I showed them the king's letters. The king sent along a Calvary escort. God will literally escort you into the promise that he has on your life when you seek him and get his plan. Psalm 127.1, and we kind of brought this up a little bit today in the prophetic words. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor, labor in vain. This is the thing, friends. The Lord will build the house, but we are his laborers. We are his builders underneath him. And so he's going to do it, but he's going to use you to get it done. Does that make sense? A lot of times we get confused, and I had to find this, I had to have this even out in my own life because I have this part of me, I, I was just talking to some of my friends about that Martha and Mary um, balance that we need in our life. Because I have this part of me that just wants to be like Mary and just be in his presence at all times. But then there's another part of me that's like Martha. And I'm like, come on, we got to get the job done, y'all. Let's get to it. And, and there's this old saying that says, uh, pray as it depends on God, but work as it depends on you. And I always kind of struggle like, God, I know you're going to do it. But I know that God's not going to just just most of the time magically make something happen. He's going to use his people to get it done. And so I'm like, okay, God, we need to be in your presence and we need to hear your voice and we need to get your plan. But then once we do, friends, there's something that needs to come in and plan after that and it's called obedience. And that's where we usually slip up. We're like, oh, well, I don't know if that's really for me. Oh, that's going to be some work. That's going to be some sacrifice. It's like glory to God. It's all him and I'm only still in the beginning. But finally I woke up and said, I'm not going to have somebody wake, come over my house, drag me out of bed, make me exercise, and cook healthy meals for me. I want to lose weight, and I just think that I can have somebody come do everything for me and make it happen. It's not going to happen that way. I'm going to have to get up and do something about it myself. And friends, this is how it is. We, we, God, his, it, it's where we have to get it even at, where we have to have this, this trust that, yes, God is going to give us the faith but then he's going to give us the, also the vision, and then, he, he, then we have to decide to walk in obedience. And so unless the Lord builds a house, 
the laborers labor in vain. So it has to be his plan, but we have to say yes to his plan. Does that make sense? We need God to give us a plan for, for his church. And I, we felt like the Lord gave us a faith goal this year. See how I said that? Faith goal this year that Vision Ministries, we would love to see it increase. We have faith to see it increase 100 people this year, per camp, 50 people per campus. Now, reading statistics is like, oh, my goodness. They, they say that if you want to add 100 people to your, your church, that you have to have 1,000 people come through your doors. Because it takes one, only one out of ten will stay. And, and, and you know, and, and then you look and you're like, how is this going to happen and this and this? And it's so easy to get wrapped up in, okay, I got to do this and I got to do this. And then it's that balance again, that Martha and Mary, right, in his presence. And yet when he says, when he tells you what to do, then you got to step out and do it. And so, friends, I want to encourage you. I wanted to put that out there because often nowadays they teach a lot of leaders, it's all about leading by vision. But the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. We do need to have vision. And without vision, of people perish. But we need to have faith, too. It goes together. And that's why our, our mission here is, is to restore vision to people by, by giving, right, faith in Christ, hope to others, and love for God. They all wrap up together. We need it all. Say, so God, I want it all. I want it all. And so we need to, we need to pray Start a prayer, and then we need to, to, to get us, we need to get God's plan. If you want to build God's church, we need to pray, get his plan, and then from there, here comes the obedience part. I kind of got ahead of myself. We need to commit to growth. That means we need, we need to obey. See, if the church is going to grow, it must start with us. And we have to realize this is where it happens at, friends. With much growth comes much opposition. Every time. You will not grow on the easy road. I read somewhere, probably on Pinterest, that's where I get lost at sometimes, <laughs> that they say, and they're talking about the world, but, you know, that there's a highway to hell but only a stairway to heaven. kind of shows what kind of traffic we get, right? That's what, I was like, oh, that's kind of funny, blah, 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 you know, or whatever. But <laughs> I want to commit to growth. And I know that growth starts with me. And, and if we want to see the church grow, then we have to commit to it. With much growth, though, there will be much opposition. So Nehemiah had some opposition, especially from the enemies. Um, the Bible says, again, that Christ comes to give life more abundantly, but the enemy, he has a plan, too, to kill, steal, and destroy you. And so there was a lot of enemies um, with Nehemiah. They were mad. They were haters before Taylor Swift made the song, Shake the Haters Off. I mean, Nehemiah could have wrote that song because he had to constantly encourage people to shake the haters off because they were so mad. They're like, these Jews, they, were, they despised Jewish people, and yet this king who wasn't even Jewish gave them the money and the supplies and the okay to build the walls. And so they were just hating on them because they were working hard and they were hating them. So the men of Judah were aware. They had all kinds of schemes. The enemies had schemes to come in and and. and and kill them and, and destroy the progress and knock down these walls. And God made the people of God aware of the enemy's schemes. We need to be aware of how the enemy wants to attack us. Come on, friends. we got to wake up today. We need to be aware. A lot of us want to live in ignorance. We say, oh, ignorance is bliss. No, fools, it's not. <laughs> Oh, that was fun. I don't want to be ignorant. 
I want to know what God is doing. And I want to know if the enemy is going to attack. I want to know so I can be ready. So I can stand my guard. Like how my boy Jordan was looking at his, at his uh, basketball picture the other day. You guys got to go on my Facebook and look at it. Hold up. Pause, mom, brag, moment. All the other kids were sitting here, arms crossed, you know, and just doing whatever. Here's Jordan at the end, standing like the man with his arms, his arms like this and his head like. <laughs> South side. <laughs> Where you could take the boy out the hood, but not the hood out the boy. I was like, look at that boy. But he was, he, he stood ready. Friends, we need to stand ready when the enemy comes. But most of the time, we're like, whoo, running. He's like chasing us, and we're not ready to stand. We're not ready to stand firm. The, the people that went with Nehemiah, they found out about the plan, and guess what? They found out about the enemy's plan, and they were prepared. They were ready. You know what they did? They said, we're going to go buy twos. Hmm, kind of sounds like Jesus' instructions. Oh, but I'm the church all by myself. Well, then why did Jesus send them out two by two? Mm-hmm, yeah. I just, let me look at you again. Two by two, right? Nehemiah, foreshadowing of, of the church here. Two by two, they went out to work on God's plan. And one was working. One had a tool in the hand, and the other one had a weapon. Friends, God has given us tools, and he has given us spiritual warfare as weapons. And we need to be ready. We need to work, we need to have our tools in our hand, and we need to have our weapons in our hand. And we need to go together while one is working and one is plowing. We better be having their back, being that armor bearer, having our weapons ready so that when the enemy comes against them, oh, no, you're not going to bring my brother down because I'm ready for it. Right? When we're praying for one another and we're, we're looking out for one another's best interest, when, when Bailey and Jonas, if they struggle, oh, best believe they got a team around them. Mama and daddy over here and Josh and I, we're like, oh no, get away from our people, right? Because we're for them. And that's how it's supposed to be as a body. We're supposed to be for one another. When one is working and one is plowing, the other one is covering in prayer. Amen. Come on, Jonas. I'm glad somebody likes this today. Come on. Y'all wake up. I know it's snowing. We already made it here. Wake up. God is good. Amen. He's so good. And so we need to learn from opposition. We need to learn how to handle our opposition. We can learn so much about handling opposition from Nehemiah. Draw encouragement from God. That's what Nehemiah did. When the people were discouraged and opposition was poised for the impending attack, Nehemiah told people to remember the Lord. He pointed them to God as their source of encouragement. Friends, we have to say to ourselves like David sometimes, why so downcast all my soul? Put your hope in the Lord. I had to do that this weekend. I reached out to some people I hardly ever reach out to. I said, you got to pray for me. I'm feeling discouraged. I confessed it. And then I said, no, why so downcast all my soul? And once I did that, the next day I woke up with a new resolve. Friends, we have to encourage ourselves sometimes as well. And we encourage ourselves in the Lord. Point people to God, amen. And also when opposition comes, we need to answer the critics by calling on God. I don't have time to be here forever, but man, I'm telling you what, there's a lot of people that just want to, I can't even hardly read social media nowadays because people always got something to say about something that doesn't even have any of their business in it. You know what I mean? Nehemiah called on God to vindicate himself. When the enemy stepped up their attacks, he asked God to strengthen his hand 
and his resolve to carry out the task God has called him to do. When the enemies come around you and sometimes it's your own thoughts, but we think it's our own thoughts, but it's the thoughts of the enemies. And we think to ourselves, I can't do this. Who am I? I'm a failure. I'm not going to be able to make this. I don't have any influence. I don't have the anointing enough. I'm not qualified enough. All these lies of the enemy. And we need to say, liar, devil, get thee behind me. I'm going on God's path. Come on, friends. Opposition is hard. But when we handle opposition the right way, it will build character in our life and make us more like Jesus. And when we're more like Jesus, it's going to build up the church. Amen? If you want to build up the church, we got to answer. we got to go first in prayer. we got, we got to seek God's face in his hand. we got to get his plan. we got, we got to commit to grow through opposition. And we got to work onto God. I read the scripture last time, Colossians 3, 23. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Never be lacking in zeal. This is Romans 12, 11, But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The first time, 10 years ago, they asked me to preach at TCS. They said, I want you to come in to a group of teenagers you've never preached to before, and I want you to preach on dating. I'm like, oh, great. That's going to go over well, you know. And, and so I'm like, God, give me an in here. What do I say? What do I do? And he said, why do teenagers, especially young teenagers that really don't have any business dating yet, you know, when you can't even drive, you don't have a job, why do they try to date? I'm like, I don't know. He said, because, you know, when God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't already know the answer. He's just trying to get you to think. I'm like, I don't know, God, why? <laughs> he said, because it's misguided zeal. It's misguided passion. I've made young people passionate. Instead of putting their passion towards me, they're putting their passion towards one another. And I said, oh, man. So the, I went in there, and I, I preached passion and having a passionate relationship with God. And God moves still. It was the greatest time I've ever had there. God moved in the altars. I ended up, at the, as morning service, I ended up being at school until it was almost time for the school bell to ring. God just moved that day. And I'm telling you, friends, it's the same, not just with teenagers, it's the same with us. We oftentimes get so caught up in something that we're so, we're, because our passion is in the wrong place. Right? That's why you see, and it's okay to, you know, love different things and have, you know, some fun. But you see people who are Christians that will miss church for months on end because they're so passionate about their sports. They'll go to games, they'll paint their, their chest, show their bare belly, just like, ooh, you know, just all into it, you know, and they just, you know what I mean? But yet, man, oh man, that church is weird because they raised their hands. Right? I like those people. You know why? They're going to be some good Pentecostals if they get filled with the Holy Ghost. They just got misguided passion. Misguided passion. It's okay. I, I ran into somebody after going to the movies Friday, this little teenage girl, and she's like talking about this little things here and this little zombie things here and this little crazy stuff here that all this different things. And I'm just like, I just, I just was looking at this teenage girl. I'm like, I just love this little teenage girl. She, or my husband was like, you just, you love teenagers. I'm like, because this, this little girl is just so passionate. I just look at the zeal and I think, man, if God would just grab a heart, a hold of her heart, if she would just let God grab a hold of her heart, all that little passion about all these little weird sci-fi things and these little movies and all this little stuff that she's so into, not saying anything's wrong with it. I'm just saying if that, just a little bit of that passion there would get switched to the kingdom. I mean, Jesus could come back tomorrow, y'all, if we really had our passion in the right place. If we had our passion in the right place. And so I want to encourage you. Nehemiah had his passion in the right place. He kept his spiritual zeal serving the Lord, and he allowed his passion to be in his work for God. Man, we should never come into church like, oh, I got to go to church. 
If you feel like that, man, you need to check yourself. Check, what was that? Check up from the neck up, right? Like, you need to speak to your brain like, no, 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 no. I get to go to church. I mean, think about it this way. In the Old Testament, the only way you could even open the doors at the church is if you were born of a certain tribe called the Levites, and then of a certain little group in the Levites, they could open the doors. I mean, you had to be a who's who in the Levite zoo. (laughs) Oh, I'm having so much fun. I'm telling you, friends, it is a privilege and an honor to work before the Lord. The veil has been torn when Christ died. And now any of us can use our passion working for the Lord. So let's do so. Nehemiah did. In chapter 6, the walls were completed and the gates were manned. And a major step was completed in rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. The city is now large and spacious. But listen to this. But there were few people. Hmm. And the list of families are listed in chapter 7. From Nehemiah receiving the report until the time the walls were completed, only nine months had elapsed. The first four months, give or take a few days, were spent in prayer with another several months in transit from Persia to Jerusalem. Do you know it only took seven and a half weeks to complete the building project, which seemed like it was a, a huge task at the beginning. Think about this, friends. I felt like when I, when I researched that and saw that, that the Lord was speaking directly to our Waterville campus. Because God spoke to us, and we start meeting together in January of last year. Once a month in January, I think, is all we did. Twice in February. Twice in March. And we were like, well, I don't know. It probably will be another year, possibly. Josh said that at one core meeting. He said, it may be another year before we can ever get the church plant up and running. The very next week, he said, we, what we need is we need a place, and we need money to do this. The very next week he came together and said, hey, God opened a door for us to meet at the school and he gave us the funds to do it. Let's meet it. We're going to have our first official meeting on Easter, which was April 16th. And we'll, we'll practice a couple times first, April 1st. I mean, that was crazy how fast it happened. You know, a lot of church plants, they meet for a whole year before they even get started. And so here we are, we're getting started, and then we've, we, we've got some stuff established, and then we're here, and it says, you know, the, the city is now large and spacious, but there are few people. It's okay, friends. It's okay. Because as long as God is in with the few, He's going to build it, and he's going to grow it, but we got to be ready, friends. We got to be ready. I felt like the Lord said to me that the year 2017 was a year of stretching for Vision Ministries. It was a year of stretching, and I'm talking for our South Toledo campus, too. I mean, it was a year of stretching. Our whole worship team over there shrunk down to, like, nothing, and guess what? The Lord said to me in 2018, all those things that you've strived for before, all those things that you planned uh, for in 2018 is going to be a year of growth and acceleration. And I'm like, oh, God, no more striving. No more striving. Yes, pray, get his plan, be strategic, work hard. But we don't have to strive because if he's in it, it's going to happen, amen? And he's in it. He's in it. So receive that word. And ask the Lord to help you work hard to build his church. Amen. 
These next two are going to go pretty quick. <laughs> What's that clock for back there? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> if you want to build the church in love, we need to make a commitment. We've got to work hard, but we've got to make a commitment. From this point on, we read the co- uh, covenant that the people of Ju- Judah uh, made with God. The people confessed their sins, it says in the scriptures, for three hours. You know the clock was like negative all kinds of uh, time if they had a clock back then. Because they were confessing. That's like not the music. That's not the preaching. That's just the confession part. That's before Ezra even got up and was reading the word. They, con- they were confessing their sin for three hours. That sounds like revival, right? They asked for forgiveness for their sin and their ancestors, friends. And, they co- and the commitment, friends, listen to this. Commitment starts with confession, but it ends with obedience. That's tweetable, y'all. Y'all need to get that a little, you need to get that. It starts, commitment starts with confession, but it ends with obedience. It's not just about confessing. It's about now after we confess and we repent, now we need to be obedient. Four commitments made in chapter 10. I'm going to hit these fast. Submission. The people said, I'm going to submit myself to God and his leadership. They literally signed a document. Their leader signed it. They committed to a separation. Now, the church is, uh, in the Greek is called Ecclesiastes, called out ones. And the reason it's called out is because we're supposed to be different than the world. And so Nehemiah is saying, you're not supposed to look like all the neighboring people around you. You're supposed to be separate. Separate. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to carry on how God wants you to carry on that you are uniquely fashioned to look like God, okay? And if you're going to be separate, that means you can't be unequally yoked in things. That basically means if you're a Christian, you can reach out to people. I said there's a difference between loving sinners and loving the world, friends. We get it twisted. Jesus was a friend of sinners. We're supposed to love people where they're at, but he was never a, a friend of the world system and saying, oh, it's okay to be that way. We need to be separated and, and pulled out and yet are called out and yet still reaching back in. Does that make sense? I don't got time to hit it all like I want to. They also made a commitment to the Sabbath to keep it holy, to honor it. We forget, guys, that one of the Ten Commandments is to keep the Sabbath holy. And, and to do that is not only to rest, but to be in his presence. That's what the Sabbath is all about. And then they made a commitment to support God's temple and the Levites, which was God's ministers, with their tithes and offerings. And friends, I want to say thank you because I believe the core of this church has made those four commitments already. I don't believe I have to ask you right now to to make those commitments because I know that you already have. I know that you've already made the commitment to submit unto God. I know that you've already made that commitment to say, I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be I'm going to work towards being like Christ. You've made the commitment to honor the Sabbath, to serve the church. We, we have almost 100% participation in serving and volunteering at this, at this core team. I mean, that's amazing. And then you've also made a commitment to support through your tithes and your offerings, so thank you. And with that, God is going to do something. I'm going to end with this because I have no idea what time, how long I'm going over. Jerry's going to be kicking me out here, but... <laughs> My last point is don't quit. I'm going to finish this sermon, but I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. And, friends, we win when we don't quit. To wrap up of uh, Nehemiah, that's what I get for trying to preach a whole book in 45 minutes. It's so good, though. It's so good. 
God's word is good. But to wrap it up, the last couple uh, chapters there, the people started backsliding. After they just had three hours of confessing, doesn't it sound like the American Christians? Oh, revival on Sunday, backsliding on Monday, right? What we call it, Sunday saint and a Monday ain't, right? <laughs> so in the last part of chapter 12, with this, they had a special dedication service and range for the wall was now completed. The people of Judah had great celebration. And then in the last chapter of the book, 13, we find the people had already forgotten parts of the covenant that they had made with God. And this is the, the, the word that I felt like the Lord spoke to me. Even when you fall seven times, get back up. Get back up. If you feel like you've made a commitment to the Lord and you've messed up, don't stay down. Get back up. Get back up. If we don't quit, we win. Stand to your feet, please. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord God. I feel like you already did the altar call in our worship service today. God, you already moved. But God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would help us receive your word today to build your church. I feel like the Lord is saying, if, if, you are, if you receive that word today, would you just show by the sign of raising your hands before the Lord? You don't have to get out of your seat, but would you just, would you just raise your hands before the Lord? And as your hands are, are lifted, I feel like the Lord is saying to you today that in one hand, he is putting his tools. He's putting his tools. And in the other hand, he's putting weapons for warfare. And that he wants you to know that you have everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. God, I speak a prayer and declaration over your people that they have both tools and weapons in their hand. That they have everything they need for life and godliness. That you are going to use them to build your church everywhere they go, Lord God. God, I thank you, Lord God, that you're going to give them the tools, you're going to give them the talents and the giftings that they need to build your church. Lord God, you've already given it to them, God, that you're going to help them develop them and step out in them. And God, I thank you, you're giving them the weapons of warfare that they need, Lord God, that they are going to know the word of God. It's going to be the sword of the spirit that they're going to use against the enemy, that they're going to use it to help sharpen one another. God, that you're going to give them the full armor of God, that they're going to walk in it. And God, that they're going to know, Lord God, that if you be for them, who can be against them? God, I pray that you will bless your people with your love, with your presence, and with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.